We are working through January and February through a series called Words Have Power. We began the series with this general idea that our, the theology of our words, that we are the imago dei. In other words, we are in the image of God. The words we use on an, on an everyday basis have power. They become a reflection of who we are, and therefore they become a reflection of who God is. The week after that, we, we looked at a more specific idea in the words of our culture, that we are meant to be a thermostat and not just a thermometer, where we're meant to not just read the temperature of a room, but to be able to have the capacity to change the temperature of a room. That we need to build a tender heart and a thick skin. That we don't just live for the soundbite on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, but we live for things that are real, real conversations, real words. We got even more specific the week after that to talk about the words of our past. I spent some time this week listening to that message uh, since I wasn't, wasn't here. The idea that we need to put away our childhood experiences. That we need to put away the things that have left deep scars on our lives. And they don't have to shape who we are now. I think that message rings true to what we're going to talk about this week. And I wanted to continue that message this week. It's no different than the previous. We're going to be very specific in how our words and the words of others affect not only us, but those around us. Today, we're diving into the idea of having tough conversations. The words within tough conversations that we have had, that we will have, that we do have, and how important those words are that shape who we are. Now the goal of this series is not just to bring everybody down and to talk about all the negative things about words. But the reality is, we don't need help with the good stuff. We don't need help celebrating. We don't need help complimenting. That stuff comes easy. But the things we remember most vividly within conversation are the conversations we didn't necessarily do well They didn't end well. And they're the negative things that stick with us as we grow older. We don't need help with the good. We need help with everything else. Many of us aren't really good at having tough conversations. And believe me, I am one of them. I actively and have actively avoided the tough conversations in my life. That's my tendency. Whether it's fear or awkwardness or avoidance, I don't want to have them. The hard conversations are hard for me. It's why I found this this title so fitting for this week. When was the last time someone said to you, we need to talk? What did that make you feel? What What are the things that it incited inside of you? All week, Tina's been been coming up to me and saying, Eddie, we need to talk. Not about anything. She just wanted to repeat the title to me over and over again. But she did it in that that mom voice. You know what I'm talking about? And every time, my body tensed, right? There's like ice in your veins. Especially when your mom says, we need to talk. 
I grew up in the 90s, and if you ever watched a 90s sitcom, you know that when someone says we need to talk, it's never good. Something went wrong, something is wrong, you did something wrong, either way you slice it, it was never a good phrase. And many of us are afraid of having those conversations. But my question is, why do we fear the talk? What's so, what's so fearful about something like that? I came up with these ideas that what I think, we fear the talk. Number one, it's the fear of losing the relationship. That whatever happens within this given conversation, when it's over, there will be no relationship. We're afraid of that, so we avoid the conversation. Others are afraid of being the object of a person's anger. We don't want to sit in this conversation and have someone get mad at us. We don't want people to be upset with who we are and what we're talking about. Another fear is that we're afraid of being hurt or afraid of being hurtful. For some of us, it just comes so quick to be very hurtful. And for some of us, it's very easy to be hurt. So we avoid the tough conversation. We don't want to have it because we don't want to be in that position. Lastly, we're afraid of being perceived as bad. We don't want to be looked at as a bad person for getting upset or having that tough conversation. We don't want to be the person who is the the bad guy. And for everybody, that looks different. For me, it was just, I was afraid of having the argument. Growing up in, in my house, arguments were everywhere. It was every day. You can actually just count on the fact that one day you were going to have an argument inside the house. So as I got older and as I decided to develop who I was, and Katie, Katie will attest to this, that I just avoid the conversation. I avoid the argument out of fear. I just don't want to have the argument. And I think we can kid ourselves to think as we get older, as we walk with Jesus more, as our faith grows, that we'll be tempted to think we shouldn't have to deal with these problems. We shouldn't have to have these conversations. It should just be easy. However, Scripture and history and our own experiences have told us and shown us something completely different. The more we mature, the more we get into leadership roles, the more we grow as people, the more often than not we will have difficult conversations and difficult circumstances that we're going to have to deal with. It's my goal today to perhaps look past the fear of the conversation and try to find a better way. With that, I want to spend some time this morning in the life of Moses. Moses can be summed up in in a number of words. He was a deliverer, he was a leader, he was a friend of God. But I want to look this morning more as Moses the communicator within a difficult conversation. Now Moses' road to master communicator didn't start off on the right foot. In Exodus 3, God comes to Moses in a burning bush. He tells him he wants Moses to be the spokesman for the people of Israel to Pharaoh. Moses' reply is that you've got the wrong guy. Can you just send somebody else? God goes further to tell Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses' reply, I'm not real good with words, so can you just send somebody else instead of me? He deflected. He tried to run away from that conversation. And so in that moment, God sends Aaron, his brother, along for the journey. Now throughout the book of Exodus, we see the growth of Moses as a communicator. 
And it, there's two particular passages I want to kind of settle into this morning just to see the growth of Moses. The first is being in Exodus 18. At this point, we have, um, we've moved out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They found manna in the wilderness. And now they're kind of set into a rhythm. So Moses sends for his family. He sends for his wife. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes along. Moses is now sitting as a judge over the entirety of Israel, uh, trying to solve their problems and give them the instructions from God. And that is kind of where we pick up the story this morning, uh, beginning at verse 14, and what Jethro sees as an issue with Moses. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he says, what is it you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their dispute to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. You see, Moses is sitting over as judge over thousands and thousands of people alone. The strain of that will, will wear anyone out. And Jethro sees the problem with the situation. Jethro sees the problem with Moses' choice here. So he decides that, you know, he can't just sit by and let it happen. He needs to confront Moses on a bad decision. And sometimes we need to get past that awkwardness to have that conversation, just like Jethro, Jethro did. Now on the flip side, Moses could have stood there and said, you know what, I led the people through Egypt, through the Red Sea. What I'm doing is the right choice. I can do it on my own. But instead, if you read in verse 24, it says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. The example of Moses can't be missed here. He received some hard news, and he accepted it with humility. He took everything in that Jethro was saying. He accepted his wisdom from an older person who had more wisdom than he did. And he was willing to change. He wasn't so stubborn that he wasn't listening. Now, if you hang with me for just a little bit, we're going to circle back around to that idea. But I want to get into the second passage. And the second one takes us through Exodus 32. I promise I'm not going to read the entirety of Exodus 32, but we will work through it together. In this, Moses initiates three different conversations. Now, Moses went up to the mountain to talk to God. That begins in chapter 24, goes all the way to chapter 31. In total, Moses is there from 40 days and 40 nights. 
And at that point, the people of Israel started getting restless. They wanted some action. They wanted something. So they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, who was in charge at the time, and says, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. It took 40 days for the people to just say, you know what, I don't know what happened to him. So Aaron, feeling the pressure of the people, obliges. And that's where we get the golden calf. That now they're going to worship the golden calf, and that's going to go before them to God. Now in the midst of all the conversation with Moses, God sees what the people are doing. And his anger starts to grow inside against the people of Israel. And in verse 9, God says to Moses, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. After all that happened with Egypt and the people just walked away from it, God was ready just to start over. He was just ready to end it all and just start it over with Moses. And at, at this point, Moses steps in for the people of Israel. In verse 11, he says, Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Towards the end of verse 12, he says, Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Moses goes on to remind God of his promise to Abraham to make the descendants of Abraham into a great nation. And with that, God's anger relents. And so Moses comes down the mountain. And I'll give you three guesses as to who he confronts first. He goes to the guy in charge, his brother, Aaron. And he says in verse 21, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? He confronts his brother with the issue. He was supposed to be in charge. Now, if you go on, Aaron turns around and blames the people, say they are just prone to evil, and that's why this happened. And so Moses turns to the people in verse 30 and says, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. He confronts the people but is willing to stand for them also. There's a lot of tough conversations happening within that passage and in that chapter. And I think it's clear that as you see Moses' growth, he's no longer afraid of having that hard conversation. When God's anger burned, Moses stepped in for the people. When he came down from the mountain, he confronted his brother. And when he saw the chaos around him, he confronted the people. Within these two passages, there are four different tough conversations being had. Now, what does that mean for us? How does that help us have a conversation? How does that help us work through a conversation? And as I was working through all of this, just looking at the passage as a whole, I see these conversations manifesting themselves in different ways. Maybe you need to face an uncomfortable situation, as Moses had to do with Pharaoh. Maybe you've done something and you're being confronted by someone as Jethro with Moses. Maybe you need to step in on behalf of someone else who can't do it themselves as Moses did to God for the people of Israel. Maybe just someone's upset you. Now you have a beef with them as Moses had with Aaron. Or maybe, just maybe you need to correct someone's behavior as Moses with the people. Each of these come with their own tension 
And I think if we're going to get better at these tough conversations, we need to live in that tension for just a minute. But we as a broken people tend to deal with these problems in unhealthy ways. We can either choose to sweep it under the rug. We just act like it never happened. We share it with someone by gossiping or tattling or whatever. Or we just stew on it. We brood and we just bottle it up and we wait and we wait and we wait. For me, I have the tendency to just stew on things. I'm a bottler. I just push it down, push it down, push it down. But the problem with a bottler and a bottle in itself, eventually it will fill up and it will come out. You forget about it for a time until the next time. And then all of that stuff comes back around. Trust me when I tell you that as I was preparing all of this this week, it was as much for me as it was for you. But the truth is, the truth is here, we have hope. There is hope to have with a tough conversation. There is a better way that we can do this. I want to look at some steps that that can make the we need to talk maybe a little easier. That we don't have to be afraid of the talk. Whether you're on the giving end of that or you're on the receiving end of that, I think we can do it better. The first is that we just need to remember it's not all about you. And I know for many, that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear for me. When I have an issue, when I have a problem, you're the only one that wants to be heard. It's tunnel vision. But the truth is, it's not all about us. We need to be willing to just listen. Because there's two people in a conversation. There's two sides to every story. And we need to be empathetic of that person's feelings because they have them also. And it's easy for us to get proud in that moment. To have righteous anger, to stand above someone else and say, you know what, I'm upset. But I think if we just did it the other way around and came humbly, say it's not all about me, but I have an issue and I want to talk about it. We might find that that's easier. Next, we need to balance grace with truth. I've been reading a book all week. It's called Having That Tough Conversation. And they call this, it's called being neutral or neutralized. That we need to enter into a conversation not just all with truth because then there's no grace. And not all grace because there's no truth in that. But to somehow meet in the middle where we can have grace and truth together and have an even conversation. That doesn't mean we come become soft on the issue in itself. But love and grace can lead the way to directness and honesty. We can be compassionate within a tough conversation. Next, we need to stay on task. It's real easy in a conversation for every issue that happened to come into that conversation. I think if we were specific and honest and stay on the issue in itself, it would make things a little easier. And perhaps we need to check our emotions at the door before we enter into that conversation. So we're not leading from an emotional state. Next, I think we need to apologize for our part. Like I said, I was reading this book, and the thing they stress within 
with this, this, this section of the book was that you shouldn't enter into a conversation at a deficit. Now, what that means is you shouldn't go to someone with an issue if you first owe them an apology. Apologize first, and the conversation now comes back to even. We need to be critical of who we are when we have those conversations. We may have messed up too. Above all, we need to be someone worth talking to. We need to listen as well as we talk. The conversations we have, the tough ones, reveal the most about our character than anything else. We need to enter into these conversations that the other person on the other end knows that I'm someone worth talking to. Tough conversations aren't easy. Trust me when I tell you I'm the leading expert in doing this wrong. For the majority of my life, I've had the tough conversations wrong, and I've ran away from them. And as I'm growing as a person, as I'm growing reading this book and going to school, I'm trying to find a better way to have these conversations. I think we as a people of God can have them better. And I think we need to look to the person who has the best example of having the tough conversation. Jesus Christ went through the entire gospel having all of the tough conversations that we're ever going to have to deal with. If we just follow the example of Christ, one in particular I want to talk about as we transition our time together. The night before, Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. He sat up in a room with the 12 people he held closest at the moment and established a new covenant with them, a communion with them that we, that we go through once a month together to remember. Talk about a tough conversation to have. He knew he was going to die, and he sat there with his 12 and established a new covenant together. I'd like to invite the, uh, the uh, people who are helping with communion this morning to come forward. And as we go through this time together, this sacrament of communion, that we, we look at the hard times, the hard conversations, remember the one who paid it all before us, who had the tough conversations, who knew the value of having them. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this, this time together. And we ask you to just be in the midst of our time in communion, that we would hear your, your voice, and that we would get better at these conversations. We thank you for this time. It's in your name. Amen.